The Lord be with you. I uh, have gotten pretty good at keeping my sermons to 12 or 13 minutes, so I hope you'll forgive me <laughs> if this one lasts 17, which is my prediction. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Friends, we've read uh, in our gospel passage a well-known story of Jesus stilling the storm. It's been preached on a lot. Um, early Christian art often depicted the church as a little boat driven on a perilous sea with Jesus in the midst, as our icon today shows us. This was an encouraging picture, uh, obviously, for Christians who are undergoing persecution uh, as they were learning how to live in Christ. Uh, the picture says that although the wind and the waves are raging, Jesus is in the boat with us as Lord over all the chaos. And that's our good news today, brothers and sisters. As we follow Jesus into boundary-crossing mission, we can count on opposition, storms of chaos that threaten to sink us. But do not be afraid, church, little boat on the perilous sea, despite our fear, despite our faithlessness, Jesus stands in our midst as Lord of all creation, tamer of the chaos, training us in the way of his kingdom. Jesus has been teaching the crowds all day by this point, and when evening comes, he tells his disciples, let us go across to the other side. I learned this from Ryan Donahoe this week. The next chapter, this is more than just an innocuous statement. It, Jesus isn't just saying, hey, you know what? Uh, let's just, I don't know, let's go somewhere else. Let's, you know, let's go out to eat. Let's find, some, let's find some burgers. He's not really saying that. He's saying, let us go across the other side. And the next chapter in Mark 5 reveals where the other side is. It's the country of the Gerasenes. It's Jesus' first foray into Gentile territory where they're going to encounter a man with an unclean spirit living in an unclean place. He lives in the tombs among the dead, and there's unclean animals roaming the hillsides. They're going to a dangerous, scandalous, inappropriate place. Jesus' mission is extending beyond the borders of Israel into strange, foreign, impure places. Jesus is proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God to those outside the covenant. I'm sure the disciples would have raised a few eyebrows when they saw where they were going, saying, like, where are we going? Why are we going? But Jesus says, let us go across to the other side. And their disciples and their teacher has said, let us go across to the other side. So they get into the boat and they take Jesus into the boat with them. And they begin the journey and a great windstorm rises up. Storms like this were common on the Sea of Galilee, but something more is happening here. In the text, among the people of this time, the sea was seen as the realm of chaos and evil, a primordial force of destruction that only God can hold in check. We see this in our reading from Job this morning, that God prescribes boundaries for the sea. And God is declaring to Job in this section of the text that uh, this is how creation happened. And so in the beginning, there was this primordial chaotic sea of, of evil and destruction and the way that God creates is he steps into the chaos and he prescribes borders. The sea can go this far, no further. Land will be here. And God steps in and does all of this. So this is what would have been evoked uh, in uh, this passage. This would have been interpreted as overt opposition to Jesus' mission from the principalities and the powers. 
Jesus is crossing boundaries that the principalities and powers are saying, no, don't do that. That's how this storm would have been interpreted. The forces of chaos that divide and destroy are rising up to oppose the desire of Jesus for joining, for calling all people into relationship with him, to be with an unclean man in an un- with an unclean spirit living in an unclean place. So this storm rises up in opposition to this mission, and Jesus is in the stern sleeping like a baby. There was a little cushion on these boats uh, for people who weren't involved in the kind of the daily operation of the boat, and that was Jesus. He was just like tired from the day, and he was sleeping uh, like a baby. Obviously exhausted from teaching all day as a human, but also filled with enough faith in his father to sleep through this violent storm. But the disciples don't see that. They don't see a tired man filled with faith. (laughs) They see a callous man who doesn't care if they drown. They wake him up and they scold him. They accuse him. There's sarcasm here. Do you not care that we're drowning? Are you having a nice nap? Jesus wakes up and immediately rebukes the wind and says to the sea, hey, down, be quiet. Both of these words that he speaks to the sea were used against a demon earlier in the gospel. And again, this invokes the mythological dimensions of the sea rising up to oppose the mission of Jesus. And so in speaking this way to the storm, Jesus is doing what God did in the beginning, taming the waters of chaos and destruction. And the result is that the storm, uh, the word here evokes like becomes weary. The storm gets tired now. And the sea exhibits a great calm. This great storm has become a great calm at the word of Jesus. Jesus is standing in their midst as the Lord of creation, as the tamer of these forces of chaos, and he saves them from the storm, but also they are his disciples, and so he teaches them. That's what the questions are about. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? This is training through failure that disciples receive when they follow Jesus on mission. This is an expression of Jesus' care for his disciples. He's not trying to invoke shame in them. These are questions of care. These are questions of, that disciples need to learn. This is Jesus asking them to use, uh, to use a term in our DNA groups, a kairos-provoking question. Why were you afraid? Do you not have any faith? Let's talk about that. That's the spirit in which he asks these questions. His desire is to train them in the ways of the kingdom. They're not just his helpers, they're his disciples. He wants to teach them to do everything he can do and greater things, right? So this is, this is the way. His method is to train them along the way. Hey, let's get into the boat. Let's go on mission together. Let's go to the other side. As we encounter opposition and you're afraid for your life, <laughs> despite your fear, despite your faithfulness, I'll save you, but I'll teach you as well. I'll teach you the ways of the kingdom. But the disciples, even though Jesus says, why are you afraid? They are indeed afraid. They're enormously afraid. And the translation that we read said that they were filled with awe. But I think a better translation, the Greek here is phobos megos. They were filled with a great fear. And so now they're not afraid of the storm. They're afraid of Jesus. Enormously afraid because they've seen their teacher do some things that were reserved for God, ordering chaos, drawing boundaries around the sea, 
conquering the force of death and assuring life. Who then is this, they ask, that even the wind and the waves obey him? This question is real for the disciples who are still discovering the identity of their teacher. But for Mark's purposes, the question is rhetorical, inviting us into the response of faith. Who then is this? Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God, the Lord of all creation, the tamer of the forces of chaos. So friends, as we follow Jesus into this boundary crossing mission, we can count on opposition just as the disciples did. There'll be storms of chaos that threaten to overwhelm us, that threaten to sink us. But do not be afraid, little church. Despite our fear and faithlessness, Jesus stands in our midst as a Lord of all creation, taming the forces of chaos and training us faithfully in the ways of the kingdom. So I want to invite us to respond in one of two ways today, or maybe both. But two things occur to me as I read this story and I think and I pray about our church. Um, and one thing is this, if you feel like you're in the midst of a storm, if you're on mission with Jesus and something is going wrong, as you think about this storm and you think of something in your life, and Jesus seems to be asleep, go ahead and wake him up. Go ahead and wake him up. And if you have a few choice words for him about how he doesn't care whether you live or die, go ahead and speak them. Go ahead. Like the disciples, we often assume that if Jesus isn't doing what we'd expect him to do, that he doesn't care. If God really cared about this more than me, he'd fix this. If God really was present and working, I'd be healed right now. If God really was working all things for good, why does the world seem like it's careening out of control into violence and destruction? We often feel we can't really articulate these thoughts to God because they're bad. We shouldn't think bad things about God. But even though the, the disciples notice in the text, even though they sarcastically scold him for not caring, Jesus responds by saving them and teaching them. His commitment to them remains steady, even though they're afraid and they have no faith. So God can handle your accusations. God can handle your anger. Cry out to God. Vent your worst thoughts about God to God. Only when we've spoken these feelings of abandonment, these fears of perishing, can we be still enough to listen for a word from God about the storm. So that's one thing. I would invite you to respond in that way as we pray together here in just a moment. But the second thing is this. Um, as I've been dwelling in this text, um, I keep coming back to the beginning of this text where Jesus says, let us go across to the other side. And the picture that I have for us as a church, so that you might be going through a personal storm, but as a church, the picture I have for us is that we've been with Jesus. We've been doing ministry. We've been listening to these parables. He's been explaining things to us. We've been, we've been doing this stuff. And we're at the end of a day on the shore with Jesus. And Jesus says, let us go across to the other side. Remember, this is how this whole thing starts. Jesus is taking his mission into these dangerous, unclean places, into Gentile territory into inappropriate, scandalous places. And it occurs to me that one way to avoid storms is just to not get into the boat. This is working out okay for us, Jesus. Like, on this side of the lake, we know what's going on over here. This is our comfort zone. We know the culture. We know the landscape. We know the people. We understand how ministry works here. We're figuring this out. Why do we need to go across the other side? 
But that's the picture I have for us. What if Jesus is inviting us to go across to the other side? And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Many of you are here for our Lenten series uh, on racism and repentance. That just wasn't a series that we were doing for Lent. That's really something that we sense God leading us into. So how do we become agents of reconciliation, agents of God's mission for the least and the last and the marginalized? We're still discerning all of this, obviously, but it means moving more concretely into advocacy for, solidarity with Black, Indigenous, people of color, committing ourselves to, as a church to real racial justice, the dismantling of systems of exploitation and inequality, continuing to lay down our privilege and repent of our latent white supremacy for the sake of marginalized communities. Again, that wasn't just a Lent thing. And if you weren't here for Lent and this is all new, forgive us for not making it plain, but this is what we're doing. And as we've seen the principalities and the powers, they don't like this. This is one reason it's easier to stay on this side of the shore. They don't like when these kinds of things happen, the forces of chaos that, keep, that seek to keep us separated and stratified from each other will definitely rise up in opposition to this kind of work. An example, quickly, yesterday was Juneteenth. How many of you guys know what Juneteenth is? I did a little poll on GroupMe to find out. Yesterday was Juneteenth, and uh, it was celebrated yesterday as a national holiday for the first time ever. uh, It commemorates the announcement and the enforcement of the freedom of enslaved peoples in Texas on June 19, 1865, which is fine as far as it goes, but the fact is it doesn't go very far, does it? Black people have been telling us for a long time in this country what they need. Hey, we need to talk about racism more honestly in our schools. We need solid voting rights that can't be taken away by racist laws. We need accountability for police violence against black people. We need to talk about reparations. And one way to look at our response is to say, okay, I hear you. I think I know what we need to do. How about we make Juneteenth a national holiday? Again, it's fine as far as it goes, but it doesn't go very far, does it? The danger is that we can convince ourselves that we're really doing something substantial when it's literally the least we could do. And it costs us nothing. So I'm just going to suggest this. For us to cross over to the other side with Jesus is going to mean more than just celebrating Juneteenth every year, taking a day off. We still don't know exactly what this should look like. And a lot of this is because we've been seeking to decolonize mission. What does it look like for us to go into these places, not as conquerors, not as people who know it all, but as learners, as listeners, as joiners? And it takes a while to work out the whiteness, if you will. Again, if you've never heard us talk like this, talk to me afterwards. I'll talk to you about what we mean and what we don't mean by that. But it takes a while to work out these instincts. We have bad instincts for mission, but Jesus is inviting us to go across to the other side. And again, we don't know what that looks like, but I think it's going to involve putting our bodies on the line and following Jesus into boundary-crossing mission, into strange places, into dangerous places, into scandalous places, into places where when new creation rises up, it's going to surprise and scare us. But why would we think new creation would be something familiar? It's new. should be surprising. So all of that said, I invite you to respond in prayer to this word. Naming the storm you're currently in, perhaps, 
Or perhaps, as I speak about Jesus inviting us over to the other side, maybe there's fear that rises up for you. Fear of a storm that could come. I know people who've had their lives threatened for simply speaking up about these things. There's very real danger. There's very real storms. We're going to face our fears. These storms of opposition will come. And we're going to have to, we're going to feel overwhelmed. We're going to be filled with fear. Our faith is going to be revealed to be very, very small, very meager. <laughs> but do not be afraid, church. Despite our fear, despite our faithlessness, Jesus will be in the boat with us. Standing in our midst as Lord of all creation, taming the forces of chaos, and training us in the way of his kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.